Welcome. My name is Nathan Illman, and this is Beneath the Armour podcast, the place where healthcare professionals talk about what it's like to be them in this challenging field, and a place where listeners can come to feel connection through shared experience. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number nine of Beneath the Armour podcast. So today's episode is a very special episode. It's a bit of an experiment. In the previous episodes, I have been interviewing guests from different areas of healthcare, so doctors, speech pathology, psychology. And in today's episode, I thought I would experiment with doing what was going to be an individual episode. So me just talking to you guys based on some questions that I'd set for myself. But I kind of gave that a go and realized that it was actually really hard to just sit and talk on my own. It's not very natural, is it, to kind of sit? If you could see the setup, it's basically me sat in front of a microphone trying to answer questions, and it was hard. So I thought I would try and solve this problem and make it feel a little more natural and hopefully a bit more palatable and enjoyable for you listeners. So I've enlisted the help of my heavily pregnant wife, Olivia, who is here with me today. Do you want to just introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So my name's Olivia. I'm Nathan's wife. And yeah, I was really excited to do this because I think it's going to be a really helpful episode for all kinds of, um, you know, healthcare professionals. So I'm really excited to, to dive deep with you. So the format of this, we've had a bit of a chat and um, the, I guess the kind of the, the format of the episode is going to be, Olivia's kind of got a bit of a briefing. She's going to ask me some questions. We're going to have a bit of a conversation. Um but the theme really is around career change. So this is something that has happened for me a few times in my professional career. So changing and shifting the direction I've taken in my career. And I know that this is something that all people go through. Obviously in healthcare we do as well. So you know, you might be in a particular role that you've gone into and might be thinking about, oh, do I want to stay in this specialty? Do I want to venture out and do something else? Um, do I even want to stay in this particular area of healthcare or do I want to go off and do something else, you know, perhaps start your own business, which is something I have done. So I wanted to share with you some of my thoughts and feelings around this and how things have evolved for me over time. And having someone else to ask me questions about it felt like a bit more of a natural way to do it. So should we, should we give it a go? Let's do it. So... You know, the first thing that comes to mind for me, I'm thinking about, you know, people who are considering a career change right now, or maybe who are just unhappy in their particular role. So that could be that they're unhappy in the hospital that they work at, or they're unhappy with the kind of work they do day to day, or it could just be that it's very different to what they originally expected. So maybe they're just not really feeling it um, anymore. Maybe it's been a few years, or potentially they're just not feeling very challenged. Um, I would love for you to explain um, and share what the first ever career change was for you um, and what led you to making that conscious choice to change careers. So I think to begin with, this sort of stems back to when I was 20, 23? Was it? Yeah, so basically I'd, I'd done my research PhD and a couple of years into my research PhD I was going down the route of academia, I was 
absolutely loving it. I was going to international conferences, presenting my papers. I had some stuff published. It was a really quite a, a nice lifestyle. But I realized that actually the work I was doing with patients at the time, I felt like I would prefer to go into a clinical role. So helping people. The There was some of the stuff around academia that didn't really interest me as much. So some of the politics I saw that were involved in, in the department and I knew that was quite pervasive and the pressure to publish stuff. So it was quite a difficult decision because I was kind of, I felt like I'd invested quite a few years already into the PhD and the, the academic side of things. But I made a decision to change, basically to pivot and change direction. So yeah, I think it was when I was 23. What thought specifically came to mind? Because you said, I felt like I had already invested so much into that initial PhD. What specific fears did you have around that? You know, What was your mind telling you at the time? Um, about suddenly changing and that's a pretty big deal you know like a Mm. very I would say very few people would do that because when you you're studying you know a certain degree whether it's business in this case it's you know in healthcare um, or psychology what was the story that your mind was telling you when you were gonna you were about to make that change Uh, yeah well one thing I remember actually (laughs) the first thing that came to mind as you said that was um about how um, my parents would react, like family. That's funny. You know, it's because I think I'd had a bit of a hard time sort of helping them understand what my career path was in the first place. I mean, obviously this differs, you know, if people have gone into medicine, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? It's sort of like, you know, you're going to be a doctor. I think everyone (laughs) understands that. But if you go into other areas that might feel a little bit more obscure, I can imagine with things like occupational therapy, mm-hmm. you know, maybe people don't really understand what it is necessarily. Speech pathology. Speech pathology, yeah, what's that? Um, so, yeah, with with um, academic psychology, doing a PhD, you know, my, I remember my par- having to explain to my parents what it, what it was my career would look like, you know, doing lecturing and things. And I didn't even really know myself, to be quite honest with you. Um, so when I decided to change, I, I thought, oh, I've spent this time, investing this time trying to explain it to my parents. Not that I felt judged or anything by them, but um, it was a bit of a, a worry almost. I was like, okay, now I've got to expect. And I think part of that was also because I wasn't even clear exactly what the consequences of that change would be. I just had a feeling that this is going to be better for me. This is more aligned with kind of what I think I want to do, which is therapy and treatment of people rather than sort of just researching problems. Uh, Yeah. Love it. Um, The reason I asked that question is because I think a lot of people, there are those fears and they do show up and they're very real. Mm. Um, So tell us about the the second career change you made. So the first one you said was around sort of 23-ish years old, Mm. um, give or take. When was the second career change that you consciously made? Because that's the thing that's the big deal as well is that you made conscious choices. It's not like you fell into a different career you consciously made a decision to shift gears so what was the second change you made so well I mean I guess to give a bit of context after that I then did my doctorate in clinical psychology and because I'd invested four years of postgraduate study into neuropsychology whilst I enjoyed a lot of the other clinical psychology training 
I kind of felt like I should maybe continue with neuropsychology and that's what I did. So in particular placements, I, um, ones where I had a choice options, I had sort of selected those and sort of focused a bit more on neuropsychology and with some of the other, the work that I did in other placements, I was given more opportunity and took opportunities to do like neuropsychological assessments and things. Um, but like I said, I really enjoyed learning all the other skills, like therapeutic skills, assessment in, in lots of different areas. And after that, I I went into a neuropsychology role. That was the first thing I did when I qualified. Um, and for the, f- how many years was it? Three years after I qualified, I I did neuropsychology roles. Actually, well, you said, what's the second career change? I guess, um, I mean, what's probably quite important is a job change, right? Like that job, the first job move I made wasn't so much a career change, but it was a really significant departure from a role I had. So the first role I had was an absolutely amazing job. You know, looking back, it was objectively, it was great. It was um, a really lovely organizational culture, very well supported with supervision, an amazing team. The work I was doing was fulfilling. Um, the salary was good. Let me pause you. So what was that job? Like, it, you know, a title or what would you, how would you describe that role? So I was working in neuropsychological rehabilitation in a charity run uh, organization, like a hospital yeah. in, in London. In London. And so you were doing that job for how long about? I think, it was, I think it was only 18 months. Only total. about 18 months. Yeah. So when did you start having even the thought maybe it's time for a change because what tends to happen um is that it's not sudden you know it's not like you decide on a thursday oh suddenly i'm going to change jobs and literally on the friday you leave it doesn't tend to happen like that what tends to happen is we have these like thoughts these musings these um little nudges that come along the way so for you when you know you said that you worked at that job for 18 months when did you start getting that feeling hmm I'm I'm getting an itch or I need to like maybe need to, need to, to go. <laughs> I need to shift gears or something needs to change. When when did that start happening within those eighteen months? Yeah, well I think I can't remember the exact point of time, probably a year into the job. And I remember what happened was I was like I said, I love the work and what I was doing. And I think I sort of, I've always had a natural tendency to want to take on kind of leadership projects, um, extending beyond the kind of just day-to-day clinical work and got involved in some research there, a project that I kind of started. And I was a team leader for like one part of the ward that I was working on. And I think what it was was obviously you know you have a job description job spec don't you and this must be a very common thing for people who work in like lots of different areas of healthcare is that obviously the way salary banding works and the shortage of of workers and and budgets and stuff is that you end up taking on responsibility that is beyond your pay grade and I think some people must get thrust into roles where they they kind of it's expected that they do this for me it wasn't really expected I kind of naturally like pushed outside that boundary um and you know realized through the networking stuff I was doing in the organization that I was adding a lot of value and I think it was it was a case of there was a sort of threshold basically I think 
and you probably remember this, I think I actually, I, I asked about a, a pay rise or um, asked about the possibility of being rebanded, I think, um, because I could just see a sort of unfairness to what I was doing <laughs> in some respects. Um, was I being greedy? I don't think I was being greedy. I think, you know, I think it was a rec- really a recognition of what I was providing, contributing to the organisation. But anyway, yeah, and, and my supervisor was amazing. She was great during that period. But unfortunately, you know, she wasn't the decision maker. You know, she asked the question and, the, you know, the, it was kind of, there, there was no room for movement in terms of promotion or, you know, salary increase or anything like that. So because I was very early on in my career as well, it didn't really feel like a problem for me to perhaps move around. And again, I wasn't entirely clear on what the bigger vision, bigger picture was, but I think I just knew that if I stayed there, I could just stay there for probably years and then, I don't know, not be developing other skills that, that perhaps I wanted and be and also importantly be compensated for those so it was a really difficult decision. It wasn't it wasn't easy because the job was so great. But eventually, you know, you remember that time where I sort of started feeling a little bit disheartened by the whole thing and and I guess that you yeah, you reach that threshold, don't you, where you then start looking. Mm. It's really interesting. Like it's suddenly get, you know, I wasn't looking for jobs. And I'm sure, you know, some people listening to this will, will can identify with this is like when you're happy and you're satisfied in a role you're not looking for other jobs. If you are truly satisfied in a job, why would you be looking elsewhere? It's like in a relationship, isn't it? I was it? about to say. Yeah, you're smiling. Yeah, it's like if, you, if you're in a relationship with someone and you're truly 100% satisfied, you're not going to be like on Tinder, are you? No, no, and you're not even really thinking about it or looking or searching for it. You're absolutely spot on. So, so what it sounds like to me, um, kind of like as I like reflect back, is that you had taken on quite a bit more than your role (laughs) um, really was defined as. So you took on leadership positions and you took on projects and you took on research. And, you know, of course, like I remember that time and I'm really not surprised because that is your nature to just, you want to, you want to make the most of your time. You want to make the most of the impact and the work that you do. Um, And then you kind of felt like, well, there's not, unfortunately at this time, there isn't necessarily the space to, grow or to be compensated to the extent that potentially you could have been or should have been um and so that's when you started thinking about the idea of moving um i i'm curious because you know you said oh well because it was the beginning of my career i didn't feel like it was that big of a deal to potentially change jobs um you know go to a different company or work for a different hospital or and I was actually surprised by that because I would say that a lot of people and and maybe if you're listening to this this is maybe you but when you're beginning your career sometimes it actually feels like oh I have to stay here I have to stay here for at least x years you know sometimes people mm-hmm. have in their heads like a set amount of time like I should allocate at least 4 years to this job or I should allocate at least x amount of time for this type of role because of all the other reasons, like whatever reason, because it'll look good on my CV, it'll look good on my resume. So why do you think that didn't come in as a thought for you? Because it sounds like it didn't really show up for you. Um, And why do you think that shows up for others? Well, I think it did to start off with. I think there was definitely some of the shoulds. I should really do this. Um, 
Yeah, we do. We we kind of we enter jobs, don't we, in a profession with a, a, a particular notion about what has to happen, and I think that has a lot to do with expectations that are set by other people, the kind of language people are using, like what you see other peers doing. Yes, you know, if you've had a supervisor who's said something you know like if just what could have just been a kind of throwaway comment by someone who you respect can really influence kind of the kind of mental rules that you develop about things absolutely and maybe your parents as well like if your parents kind of expect you to be a steady um, employee and to work somewhere for a certain number of years to feel to be reliable to be responsible you know to be stable um so you know why do you think that didn't really why do you think that didn't um, influence your decision to the extent because you obviously left after 18 months so you didn't have that like enough Mm. why was that why what was stronger in you I think I took a look at the the work and the the whole notion of you know like within psychology and allied health in the UK there's um, in the NHS there's obviously the banding system and I think and you know different uh, professions within allied health have different kind of like unwritten rules or expectations about how you progress through the bands you know in psychology i know it's different it'll be different to nursing and occupational therapy and speech pathology um but you know i just kept hearing these notions of like oh you can't progress to a band 8a until you've done so many years and there's a framework and there's guidance on that that's provided by the nhs i believe and i think the british psychological society but I remember looking at it, I remember checking it and thinking, well, it, this is just guidance. Like, it's based on a st- development of a set of skills. And I think, I think so that's what it was. I think I looked at it objectively. Like, I've been hearing all this, like, what sounded like subjectivity to me, like stories and subjectivity and whatever. And I just thought, well, is that really the case? And looked at the criteria and really sort of evaluated things and just thought to myself, well... I feel like I'm ready. Like you know, I feel like I I would be suitable for this, like a a promoted position, basically. And I think based on that, I pretty much just decided. Well, no, I'm going to go for it. You know, like I didn't know, obviously, to begin with, that I'd get the job that I ended up getting. But it it just made me, I think, break free from those kind of notions that had been holding me back to some or constraining me in some way. I think I remember we um, had a conversation a long time ago. I feel like it might have actually been in Bali when we spent, what, eight weeks in Bali living kind of location free as almost like a yeah, sabbatical for you. And I think we had a conversation and you said that one of the things that's kind of important to you is doing things not like others, like not just sort of following what everyone else is doing and sort of mm. baking, breaking free from the norm and and just basically yeah not like it's almost like you have a value around not doing things like others and and i mean i'd like for you to actually talk a little bit about that if that's something that you still feel today and um and if that's part of these changes because i think again maybe that's important for other people to start thinking about for themselves like maybe that is a value of theirs but maybe they they it's a scary and it's a scary value potentially to live into and it's a lot more you know you requires courage and bravery and you know kind of getting out of your comfort zone but yeah what what would you say around that value because i remember us talking about that 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's something I've identified definitely, isn't it? Over the over the past couple of years or few years, is that I sort of realised more and more. I think it's probably because of that whole thing about it being reinforcing, right? Like, there's a couple of times where I just decided I'm not going to do things like people say, like the system says that I should do it, and then I I took a risk because this is all about taking risks, mm-hmm. and life is very much you know it's about taking risks. Is that that paid off? And it really reinforced that to me. And I think that became a value. Like it wasn't, it never used to be like that when I was younger. I think that's definitely developed in the past four years, I'd say. Um, and I think this is really important for people you know, who are listening to this. I know one of the big things, uh, I guess bits of exposure I have with some of my work is a lot of people read this the article I wrote about becoming a clinical psychologist in Australia. I'm sure some people will listen to this podcast. And if people are thinking of moving to Australia, they're, they're probably doing thinking of doing something different, right? Like they're thinking of leaving the UK or somewhere else to come and work in a different country. And that was another act of that. Like, well, you know, we get a job and we stay and we work in the NHS. And, you know, I sort of did something different again. And that's, that's paid off, like, tremendously for me in terms like personally and professionally so I think it's something not everyone is going to run with that obviously but I think it's a particularly helpful way of looking at things or, or value to pursue you know everyone's obviously free to choose their own values but for me taking a look at what everyone is doing mm-hmm. and what the messages that are being sent about what you should do mm-hmm. and really asking yourself that question of like is that actually the case do I need to like whether you're a doctor you know you see doctors who go off and you know some amazing doctors who start their own business multiple businesses and they're authors and they're doing all these other things that you know they may have not thought possible during their medical training psychologists who go off and do other things you know the sort of possibilities are endless aren't they and I think all those people must have had that same kind of thought or feeling or value of like I'm not going to do things the way that everyone expects me to do or or that the, the system says I should do things. And and you said, you know, make, check in and see if if the norms are accurate or if the um, if what people are saying is true. And you said, well, you know, maybe it's not true, but maybe it is true. And yet you still choose a different lane. You know, just because it's true for 99% of the population doesn't mean it's necessarily true for you. Um, so let's let's kind of move forward and go to the, the next career change that you had. So maybe that was a, a job change again, or maybe it was in a different field. Mm. What was the next shift? So obviously after those 18 months, what job did you land in? And then what was your next career change from then? Um, well, I suppose just to pad out that last one briefly, I, I moved jobs and then I was actually again it was a bit of a risk because I went down from working full-time to part-time knowing that I wanted to explore something else and ended up getting some work doing some private practice which was so so explaining again like specifically so what were when you quit that job after the 18 months Mm. what two positions did you take on because you took two different roles basically part-time yeah so I went and worked in another hospital doing almost the same kind of job really and it was actually a time limited contract it was a maternity cover but it was a band 8a job so it was kind of a promoted position um largely the same kind of work so doing neuropsychological rehabilitation with adults with sort of generally quite severe brain injuries 
And the hospital was like, it was like leaving McDonald's to go and work for Burger King or leaving, you know, Pepsi Cola to go and work for Coke. It was like a, a sort of like friendly rival, although those rivalries are probably a bit more bitter in the sort of uh, product world. But um, anyway, yes, yeah, so I worked there three days a week and the other two days a week to begin with, I didn't have anything set up, but then... I decided to pursue... Well, actually, it was an opportunity that kind of landed in front of me. And that was because of, I think, you know, just establishing good relationships with people. You know, I'd I'd given a lot within certain professional relationships and therefore, you know, because of reciprocity, people want to help you out, right? Um, So my my supervisor at the time introduced me to a woman who uh, ran her own business that that, um, provided... Uh, privately funded neuropsychological rehabilitation to adults with brain injuries that was funded through like medical legal claims people had been in an accident and the insurance claim basically paid for their rehab and yeah I ended up doing that two days a week um, and I remember that being a risk because I didn't know I was going to get that job let me let me pause Nathan because I think it's really important so when when Nathan quit his 18-month job that we were referring to prior, um, when he left that, he only signed up for the part-time role, which was three days a week at first, without any awareness or insight in terms of what exactly he would be doing the other two days. Um, so salary-wise, like you were going to be ending up taking a cut if, there, if you hadn't found something else. And you're fearful like your fear mind would have potentially said don't do it yeah. you know don't take this three days a week role this maternity cover role in this hospital because you have no idea what else is going to be available and you don't even know if you're going to get another job or another role or another position this is incredibly dangerous what's the point like that that's that's the kinds of stories and thoughts that come up in our minds when we do make these sort of big decisions and we take these risks so um, what was going through your mind when, you know, I, I still remember this to this day, but what was going through your mind when you were quitting this 18 month job that we were referring to and you were only taking on three days a week at this new position? What was going through your head? I was pretty scared. Um, I think, you know, I was thinking, is this going to work? Am I going to be able to find something? Um, is this the right decision? I'm leaving a really good job for this, you know, this, there, yeah, there was part of me that predicted, I was thinking this could be a disaster. And also I remember my mum as well. <laughs> I think my mum was saying, is this such a good idea? You know, quite concerned. I think she actually said, I'm, I'm, I'm quite concerned, Nathan. Um, so I was sort of contending with that as well. But I think it was, I just kind of knew deep down that it was the right thing. I think I trusted that, I would find something. I think, you know, the pressure of being in the situation, you know, when, you know, you sort of have to make ends meet, don't you? You kind of have to, when you, when you put yourself in those kind of situations, you, you sort of rise to a challenge. So I I was confident that I'd be able to get something. Um, And there was, you know, as with everything in life, there was a a great amount of luck involved, um, but also, you know, my own kind of, um, what do you call it? You know, I suppose proactiveness mm-hmm. in looking for things and networking and stuff. Um, just because I'm guessing some people might be curious, how did you get the um, maternity cover 
job? Sounds like an obvious question, but I, some people might be thinking like, did he get that through connections? He sounds like he's the kind of person who has like, you know, solid relationships. He mentioned that his old supervisor helped him with the other job. Um, how did you get the, how did you land that maternity cover role the three days a week? Yeah, it wasn't some sort of like inside thing where I just had been chin wagging with someone and they said, oh yes, we'll give you a job. No, I didn't know them at all. Um, I just saw it advertised on the NHS jobs website. Um, for international listeners that's the NHS is the public health system in the UK and as with many of these things there's a you know there's a job board basically that shows you all the jobs that are available and I just saw it I remember seeing it I remember thinking wow that is like that couldn't be the more a more perfect job to apply for because it's I clearly have the skills or it seems like I've got the skills anyway and it's it's doing pretty much what I'm doing right now, but just with slightly more responsibility. Um, so I just I applied for it and was asked to go to the interview. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and out of curiosity, because I know we'd spoken previously about the fact that at the 18 month job, one of the things that was discouraging at times was that you were ready to be compensated more and more for like for reasons of just meritocracy. Um, so again you the maternity cover role was a level up you basically got promoted and you you got a raise in the sense that you were compensated more highly is that correct yeah but the irony is because i went from working five days a week in a band seven job to then working three days a week in a band eight a job so actually i there was a net loss in my salary so that that's the interesting thing about the situation is if i hadn't picked up the other two days a week doing the, the private stuff then I would have actually been operating at a net loss. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you get the private job for two days a week to kind of supplement that? I can't remember. Can you? I, was it? I think it was quite soon after. I think it was quite soon afterwards. Almost, as well. almost like the first month. I think yes, it was. I'd say so, so too. Yeah, it yeah. was the first month. So there was pretty much. It was hardly any gap between the two. So let's let's um, let's fast forward to the next career change. Um, so when you know, so you're working two days a week at this private um, private organization, and then three days a week at the hospital for this maternity cover role. What was the next career change that you made? Yeah, so I think you know, and this relates to what I expect some listeners will be thinking and feeling is at this point I'd spent a few years in a particular specialty. And I was doing really well. You know, I'd now had some experience in different settings. I had begun making uh, sort of broader professional connections and networking, was going to some different events and things. I was getting good feedback for my work consistently. You know, there was a trajectory you could see. You know, I was on that trajectory to... What could you see? Well, I, I guess, like, if I'd stayed in London... You know, London is obviously a kind of an amazing city professionally because... In terms of healthcare, there's so many specialist services. It's so they're so well funded. Obviously, it's, it's so populous as well that there's so many different services. And if you can really get in some of those, you're in like internationally recognised centres of excellence, basically. And the work I was doing, you know, in both places was kind of uh, sort of recognised for being of high quality in the particular field in neuropsychology. And I guess the trajectory just felt like, you know, I could just stay in this and 
you know, it's I suppose within different subspecialties of medicine and within psychology, you you know, you kind of get to know people. Like people get to know you. if you if you go to conferences and uh, places where you can network. Basically, you're going to become known, and you're going to you know there'll be more opportunities for you down the line. So I think all that like juicy stuff felt like it was within reach, or oh, it was really kind of already like being touched, <laughs> if you like. Um, and but as you know I wasn't really I was quite stressed sort of towards the end before we left for Australia and I think I didn't really know at the time because I was so busy with stuff but I just wasn't satisfied professionally or personally so there was a big part of it as well which is in the background like personal life London just wasn't really doing it for me anymore I felt quite trapped by the kind of life that I'd made for myself there had great friends and stuff but it was more just the like work hard, play hard kind of thing that um, had had sort of worked so well up until that point, but then it just felt quite exhausting and um, wasn't really what I wanted anymore. So yeah, I, I kind of, well, we'd always said we were going to move to Australia, didn't we? And it wasn't really until we, we left the UK and did that two, the two month career break where I, I think I really gave myself permission to critically evaluate like where I was at in my career and what I wanted for the future. So I'm going to pause you there as well, because I think a lot of people are probably super curious to hear about, um, because, you know, that in itself is a career change, because like you were saying, so suddenly you had a really well-paying job where you're working, working two days a week in private, and then three days a week you had, you know, again, like a really good role where you were getting this great feedback, and then throughout you were building these incredible connections, you were building your network, you saw, you could see a vision and you could see a compelling future for yourself, you know, as a, you know, clinical psychologist working in London, you saw the opportunity, the possibility, London is incredibly driven and ambitious and, you know, that kind of drive is, is everywhere. Mm. So, you know, it's a pretty big decision to then say, I'm gonna literally leave all of this behind the incredible network I have the amazing feedback that I've had from supervisors and bosses and all that um, I'm gonna also leave you know because you did your doctorates in the UK so you did all your training and, and you know the work that you did you were basically made the decision I'm gonna leave all of this behind for the complete unknown because mm. uh, something I wanted to to let you know listeners know is that Nathan didn't have chose not to have a job available for him in Australia because we were doing this two-month sabbatical in Bali in between. So, I mean, what what fears... Let's talk about the fears because I do think that's what a lot of us experience and I think it's really important to kind of share those. What fears did you have about leaving the UK, but more importantly, for your career, leaving behind all of these connections, all of this incredible sort of momentum that you had built over the years in London, what were you scared of at that time? Uh, <laughs> lots of things. <laughs> I was scared, is this going to work out? You know, it's the unknown, right? We all have that when there's, when there's periods of uncertainty in our life, which are inevitable. 
Well, I'm going to pause you there again because Nathan's saying it's inevitable, but he constantly creates it for himself. And this was a conscious choice of leaving the country. Well, no, of course, uncertainty in general is inevitable in life, but you're creating risk for yourself. You're creating that uncertainty. You didn't have to leave the UK. And I think it's important to, to mark that and to really emphasize that because I think some people are considering, who are listening to this right now, they're considering moving cities, moving countries, mm. or moving career, changing careers. And they know if, you know, doing this means more risk. It means more uncertainty. So yeah, just keep, I was just curious. Yeah. 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 Um, so the fear of, you know, trying to get myself back in that mode where I was at that point, it was like, cool, I've made this progress in my career. Will I be able to continue? Will I be able to make it? You know, it's this whole thing of like, can I make it? And I think that's, that's, it's so interesting, isn't it, that we probably will go through that, especially driven professionals outside of healthcare, but also very much inside of healthcare as well. It's again, it's those expectations, right? Like, you know, there was the comparison with peers that was quite a problem, I'd say, for me in London. And I know this happens a lot, especially, you know, with doctors that I've worked with or spoken to. Um, so I was sort of like, I'm leaving that behind. Am I going to re? Am I going to get back to the level, you know, quote unquote level I was at? Um, and that was a kind of fear. But I guess I, well, as we'll probably talk about, I kind of let. I learned to let go of that and to stop comparing, and to really just get clear about what is important to me and kind of just create my own lane. How did you let go of that fear? That's what some people are wondering right now. They're afraid of making that change and yeah. making that decision to change gears, whether that's countries or jobs or, you know, maybe even fields within healthcare. What? How did you let go of the fear that you might not make it or that it might not work the same way? I, I think I, I did some really conscious work around like I said sort of evaluating where I'd come from and what had happened in my career so far like lots of journaling and our discussions together during I'm going to keep saying career break because when I called it a sabbatical once I'm an academic (laughs) from the past who I I know got a little bit uh, narky about me calling it a sabbatical because (laughs) academics take sabbaticals it was more of a career break so let's go with career break and anyway tangent um yeah so did lots of journaling and i worked out let's let's go deeper around that because again i think that's what people are wondering what kind of journaling did you do what did you ask yourself to get clear on these things i think i asked myself what are the aspects of the professional work that i do that i'm most satisfied and happy with you know i i ask myself when I'm at my happiest with the work what am I doing and I, I think I tried to take out of the equation comparison with what other people are doing like me when I'm working day to day what am I doing that makes me happy and actually what have I been stressed with what has stressed me out the most why is that um, and so that helped me get some clarity that doing therapeutic work was like something I've been really missing I've been telling myself this lie basically you know people listening may may be telling themselves sort of stories or lies which is so common like it's normal but I'd been sort of telling myself this lie or story that oh no it's okay I'll just carry on because there is there are some things about my job which I love I enjoy and it was that was true there were some things 
But of course, I think we our mind spins this story to justify things, and it gives um, undue weight to certain aspects. In order, it's a kind of confirmation bias sort of thing, isn't it? To keep you somewhere, and it keeps you in familiar territory because obviously the unknown, the uncertainty of taking a career leap, changing careers, is anxiety provoking because you don't know how it's going to turn out. Um. But then, yeah, I guess, so the, the original question was like, how did I let go of the fear? I think I, I think I, t- I, you know, I took a real, again, critical, objective look at like my skills. And I just thought, well, you know, I've spent 10 years at university, which is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Then three years in like really demanding jobs, um, developed a lot of skills I think we often don't give ourselves credit for the range of transferable skills we have so I think that's what it was I think I was able you know like actually thinking about it it's kind of self-compassion in a way right it was like I was being kind to myself about what I'd learned where I'd come from what I'd achieved um and not being hard on myself about like the decisions I've made and then thinking right okay like I've been in difficult situations before like the doctorate doctoral training is like really tough if you get through that and you've proven to yourself that you can be put into thrust into new situations and learn and develop so yeah I, I think that just gave me confidence cool well I can just do this again I can I can reinvent myself or reinvent things when I get to Australia and and that's what happened right um exactly yeah it did happen and just to reflect back so um you really looked at the success that you'd already been able to create you looked at the the practical skills that you had gained over those three years and and prior to that um and then you also looked at what did you love about the work that you were currently doing in london and what was the work that actually created more stress for you than happiness um so that you could really gain some clarity around what needed to change what you wanted to change etc um so then obviously we we left from london to move to australia but between then we actually took, you know, you took your career break um, in Bali and we were there for two months. Um, it, when you were in Bali and you were making basically a decision about what's the next step, what were, what were your thoughts, at, you know, at that time and what, what, did, what, were you, what were you focusing on? What were you thinking about? How were you making that next decision in terms of what you were going to be focusing on when you moved to Melbourne? Well, I think the career break enabled me to have a pause and it made me to really think about what what I wanted and really to just sort of design things in a way that felt better for me. So releasing from the notion of having to do nine to five, you know, like I, I kind of, re- I mean, obviously I didn't really know what the, the employment landscape would be like in Australia, but I've, I think I started looking, I was pretty sure you can get part-time jobs here and there I think the salary, even though to begin with, it was at one point it was likely I was going to have to take an unpaid job to start off with. But I, I, I could see that actually overall the, the pay was better for clinical psychology. Do you want to just explain why you would have had to take an unpaid job? Just because I think some people might be interested in it. Yeah, just because of the visa process, basically. So when you arrive um, over in Australia, you have to do a, a sort of, it's called a three-month transitional well, it's not called a three-month transitional program. It's called a transitional program. I think it lasted three months. Um, and basically, you have to... You're sort of not registered, basically, as a, as a sort of full psychologist. And you have to have, like, separate supervision. Um, 
and many of the jobs it's difficult to get a paid position whilst you're doing that so that was a bit of a challenge um I've forgotten the question now. So, so basically, well, what did you do? What what did you choose and what did you decide to do? Because we were in Bali. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Didn't, you didn't I, have a job. That's right. Let's, let's remind people. So Nathan didn't have a job um, set out for him. We were living in Bali. How did you find your next job? So I, I looked... I mean, basically, I, obviously, I knew kind of what skills I had from before... And I knew the long term, really, I wanted to do therapy work, but I kind of just accepted to begin with, like, this is a transitional period for me. I'm going to take something that kind of feels like it will fit with my experience. And and ultimately, I did want to get paid for what I was doing. You know, it's, it was obviously, it's hard moving country. Like, we you, we just got married. We'd spent a lot of money on, on that. We'd spent loads of money on other things just getting ourselves set up so it was quite difficult and and as well as moving to a new country having no friends starting a new job like having financial of course we could have borrowed money with parents and stuff but you know that wasn't really that didn't really seem like the best option um i chose a job that was paid and it was a job that helped me i was able to utilize previous skills so it was working it was working in a different area so it was working in intellectual disability so this is people with developmental disabilities primarily autism spectrum disorder um using some of the skills that i'd had before so kind of behavior support behavior management um but it was completely different it was it was a real jump so let's actually talk about that um, just for a second. The discomfort of when you when you do take on that new role, or you take on a new field, or you change countries. What discomfort did you experience whilst starting that new job in Australia? Not knowing anything. <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm doing. It was like imposter syndrome again. You know, it, I'd been given this job and it was immediately like, you know, the, the, my my boss, amazing guy, um, sort of respected me a lot. You know, like my, I guess my CV was really impressive because of the roles I'd had before. And um, immediately I was sort of, I wasn't like, I, so I wasn't given like a really senior role, but like it felt like there was some level of seniority, you know, I guess the, the sort of respect that people had for me. And because I didn't know like a lot of stuff about basically, you know, obviously I'd done some training previously with my doctorate, but that was years before and I hadn't specialised in intellectual disability. So there was, you know, you remember like there was just just a constant sense of not knowing what I'm doing, kind of chasing my own tail, having to learn new things. It was really unsettling and it was stressful at times, but I think it was... Yeah, it was. Oh, I don't know how. How did I feel? It wasn't just. It wasn't straight. Yeah, I guess it was just anxiety provoking going into new things, um, and having to do lots of reading, preparing, and just spending time again, just in a new area, just hitting the books like when I could in the evenings at the weekend. And of course, part of that was probably around being a bit perfectionistic with things. Yeah. Probably didn't need to do as much of that. And I think over the years, like that's what I've learned to kind of cut back on. But yeah, no, it was tough. And that's what anyone's going to go through, right? If you change careers, change direction. But it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it because once I got to a level where I felt a bit more confident, 
there was an enormous sense of personal growth with that career change. That just enhanced my confidence in general, I think. How come? Because it's that thing of self-efficacy, right? It's like like you start to, to develop the underlying intrinsic belief that I am someone who is able to learn new things. I have confidence in my ability to learn a new a new thing, a new skill and apply it. And of course, there were like plenty of mistakes along the way. I wasn't perfect. You know, there's tons of things that didn't go didn't go well and it was stressful in that role but there's lots of things that did go well as well and um i think it just it gave me confidence that cool i can i've done this i've changed career path direction like again like i can do you know i've got the confidence to just kind of break free and do other things again um and then of course on the side of that that's when i started setting up my own business and I'd given myself because I because I basically said I only want to work four days a week. That was a very conscious decision I made in Bali, that enabled me to to progress slowly but surely with ideas and be a bit more creative, give myself space. So there's not like one single thing that led to all this stuff, but I guess it was just like a number of different things and quite conscious choices and lots of like reflection and you know the conversations that we have kind of a coaching conversations aren't they absolutely so i guess like people listening if they're considering this sort of stuff like you know if you don't have a partner who you can or, or, or a friend who you know you feel like you can have a good chat with and they're going to listen to you and they're going to like ask you maybe some like probing questions about things or you don't feel confident in journaling you don't really like journaling Getting some coaching is really, really helpful to kind of like iron out all this stuff and set yourself some goals and understand what you want to do. Absolutely. Um, you know, just so that we kind of finish it off um, in terms of where you are today, um, what was, well, what's been basically the final career change that you made? Because obviously you were working in this new area, this new field, this new job in Melbourne, which like you said, you started off as, you know, a novice in the sense that it was a new field, but then you, you know, because you were really um, dedicated to learning and reading and growing and obviously working very hard, um, you achieved a certain level of confidence and also just skill in that job and in that area. Um, So just tell us about that last change and, and basically where you are today. Yeah, so once again, you know, I had this period where I was in a role and, and again, to begin with, I was, I was satisfied and I wasn't looking for, for other jobs. Um, I guess because I'd given myself this space that one day a week, I kind of knew that it was like a bit of breathing room. It was breathing room knowing that I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't have clients or anything, but knew that that was a possibility. So I was quite happy continuing with the job. There was that growth that came from being in a new area I just want to remind people, so when he says the one day a week, so he was working four days a week rather than five days a week. So suddenly he had Fridays off, which gave him that extra space and time and freedom to basically open up his world and see what else he could do and what else he was curious about and interested in. So that that's what he means when he says that one day a week. Yeah, and that one day a week, I mean, that was really one of the best decisions I've ever made because I think the financial hit you might take is well worth it in terms of the benefits that you you reap in terms of having the space to do even if you didn't do something have a little side hustle you know I was playing golf some Friday afternoons you just, were writing you were reading yeah, you were thinking just live admin 
and uh, yeah, and like the reflect the time for reflection. I think I mean you, you kind of you need you want to use it productively and not just like watch Netflix on your Friday. But um, yeah, that was really sort of transformative. But um, yeah, anyway, so like the final career move, I think it kind of got to a point where again I kind of realised I'd been telling myself a story, right? I've been telling myself... What this, was the story? <laughs> the story was... this Again, and this is what makes it difficult, is that I was in a great organisation. Again, like that first job, an amazing organisation surrounded by incredible people. Like It was really wonderful what the, the, um, the directors of the organisation had created. It was it was really like a small little outfit when I started and it, and it grew and grew and grew over the sort of, over the course of a couple of years, incredible organizational culture, you know, it wasn't without its kind of flaws, but um, ultimately it would have been, you know, for most people, like really probably one of the best places they've ever worked. Yeah. Fantastic team. And I've met, you know, some of the people who work there and just all really, really warm, great people who are there for a reason and who want to make a difference. And, and like you said, just I remember that too. That was incredible. Yeah. And I, so I think what was going on was, in my mind, I knew that I wanted to do therapy. <laughs> you know, this is obviously shown up in Bali. But then I did that thing again of like giving undue weight to other aspects of that job and convincing myself that I was okay with it. Convincing myself that that's what I wanted to do. You know, at one point I was saying, I'm going to stay in this job for five years. When he said this to me, I honestly wanted to cry. <laughs> Not because, the, like we said, like the team that he was working with were incredible. The person he was working for was incredible. The organization was a good organization. It wasn't that. It's just that I could tell, being a coach myself, I could just tell that alignment wise it wasn't quite right. It, it was no longer the right field for him to be working in. So when he said, you know, I'm I'm, pl- I'm planning on working here for five years. I mean, that was hard. Yeah, and I think, so this is one of the things that I want to share on here on this podcast. You know, this is all about going beneath the armour. For me, there was a period last year, it was just after around time COVID hit Australia, wasn't it? I was really stressed with, with work and stuff. And I think part of this was really bubbling underneath was the fact that I wasn't really satisfied with what I was doing. And yeah, I ended up seeing a psychologist, didn't I? And I saw a clinical psychologist um, and I had one session and basically within that one session, it just gave me the space to acknowledge and be honest with myself that I didn't want to stay in that role. What did she ask you? I remember her asking you a very particular question. What was it that she asked you that suddenly made you just wake up? What did she ask me? Well, I remember it was more like the look on her face and her reaction when I mentioned about the type of work I was doing. And she, before me even saying, oh, like I don't do any therapy work, I think it was because I was talking about how much admin there was and the report writing. I think she said something like, we didn't go into this profession to to do admin, did we? Or, you know, report writing was, wasn't what we trained for. And it was like, it really hit the nail on the head. But I mean, you know, obviously like some roles that's required, but I think for me, it kind of, I'd spent a lot of like previous roles. There was a lot of report writing and I, and then I talked about my plan to her and I said, yeah, I'm thinking of staying for whatever it was like a year or two years. And I think she just said, well, but why? 
Like, why Why that time? Why yeah, that amount of time? Yeah, specifically, she said, like, why, why are you going to wait for a whole other year yeah. in this role that even though, yes, you're saying it's a great company, it's great work, it's great, 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 because that's what Nathan would always say. Um, she was saying, you know, out of curiosity, like, why are you waiting for a whole year to make the next career change? Yeah. And it wasn't like a... It was it was a genuine curiosity on her part. It wasn't like why are you why are you staying there, you know. It was it was like you know she was considerate and she wasn't she was respectful, and it just immediately broke me out of my arbitrary rules I'd made in my own head about why I should stay there. And, what were the rules? Well, the rule was like I'd said, okay, I'm only I'm just going to stay see it out for like another year, and I'd I, there was a sense of duty to the organisation, which is something a lot of people probably experience is you know, I need to give something back to this, or need to give to this organization. Um, I feel like, you know, maybe you've started a project or a commitment or something and you feel like you need to see it through. It was, you know, it's difficult. I was supervising someone who was doing her master's in clinical psychology and I knew I'd end up, I'd have to give, like stop doing that supervision. And I guess it's, you know, it kind of made me realize in that session that it was just self-sacrifice. And that's something she labeled and named as well. She said, you know, as healthcare professionals, we, we're we big on self-sacrifice, aren't we? But we've got to think about ourselves sometimes. Like, you know, look at your life. You're stressed. You're not really enjoying everything you're doing. You're saying you want to carry on for a year because of wanting to give stuff to other people. What about you? Like, what do you need? And I think I, that really helped me in that one session, just go off and then, again, do some more journaling and goal setting and and it was then there and then that I realized no I just need to give this up sooner right and it was then I think it was two months after that I left no no maybe three no maybe it was a bit more actually I think it was maybe four months but it was a lot sooner than what I'd been planning on on doing and then what did you leave for so yeah, I found some some work just doing outpatient psychological therapy. So basically, going back to this thing that I kind of had a niggle that that's really what I wanted to do and just experiment with and have fun with, and and then on the the rest of the time actually just work on developing my business. So you know, doing coaching and training with healthcare professionals, and it was the best decision ever. Again, <laughs> you're that- you're you're particularly happy about the decision, aren't you? <laughs> I'm especially happy. Well, you know, the truth is, I think when it comes to our partners, we want them to be as happy or as fulfilled as they possibly can be. Obviously, there's going to be ups and downs in any endeavor or or work, but ultimately, suddenly I could just tell Nathan, you know, (laughs) he'd finish a day's work now and he's just lit up. He's energized. It's 7 p.m. He's had, you know, five or six therapy sessions and he is on fire and he's, you know, he's got a huge smile on his face and he's just the most fulfilled and happiest he's ever been. Now that, of course, there's different factors involved. There's personal life as well. And there are just all kinds of variables that come into play. But I think it's just really, it's really interesting how when you continue to follow I mean, it sounds really silly, but when you when you continue to follow your nudges and your values and what really, you know, is enticing to you, then you keep moving towards more fulfillment. Um, just the last thing I wanted to kind of bring up um, and then we'll 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 finish this off. But um, there was a thing that you had there. You had a, a fear or, or a rule or a belief around the fact that you had to be a specialist 
And then there was also a belief around mm. having to be in a certain area or field for a certain amount of time. Can you talk to us about what that belief was and um, how that was limiting you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think it probably was born out of the education that I had in London where it was there's lots of specialty like it's like it's drilling down and becoming a specialist in because there's in london there's so many like national specialist services as they're called so they're the, you know some of these like flagship services where some really you know impressive people have done amazing research they've got big grant funding they've um they piloted programs and they've got further funding to like run something so with psychological therapy for example you know in london um attached to the kind of hospitals that we were affiliated with there were like services for young people with emerging psychosis for example that were well known i did a placement in a specialist center for anxiety disorders um there's a specialist pain clinic in london so you know you get this amazing opportunity to do placements in these these kind of places and i think the kind of message is you know and you see people in the years above you everyone wanting to like focus into something as like a specialist area um and I, I think that's that's probably quite natural in healthcare people you know you do you go into a particular department or an area you know whether it's like i suppose broadly you've maybe you've got children adolescents and then adults so you might have one of those and then you might go into you know you i think over time people find they might find the thing that they like the most and kind of specialize but anyway i think i think i sort of had this kind of almost dogmatic approach to special specializing and felt because i'd done previous study in neuropsychology i have to specialize in neuropsychology um and that looking back I think kind of limited me because it I don't know I don't regret staying in the jobs that I did I, I, they, it was great amazing experience but it was something that I'm glad that I recognized was um, perhaps not that helpful and that that was limiting me from branching off and just and doing you know quote I say just therapy of course it's like still really valuable but you know now the work I do is is more generalist you know I'm, I'm doing therapy with um you know the full spectrum really of, of kind of common mental health conditions i'm not i haven't, I haven't specialized as such who knows like over time i think it's gonna that's more gonna depend on my interest as i as i sort of get more experience doing it but i think i feel like i've kind of broken free a bit from this whole notion of needing to specialize and look, in other areas of um healthcare you know it's i suppose it's a bit different in medicine obviously you know there is a, there is sort of ongoing kind of like <laughs> rivalry isn't there i think between general practice and like other specialties and the way they're regarded within the medical establishment and and you know i, I get that in medicine for example it's you have to commit to like you know a lot of years of study and and stuff to go down a specialty but having said that again like if people are doctors and they've done they've gone down a particular route you don't have to stay in that route like look around you if you look far enough and wide enough there there are other doctors who decided do you know what actually i spent all these years like training to be a surgeon and actually this is not for me and they've gone off and done something else like it, it is possible we just need to work out what the story is in our mind and what impact that's having like on our health our family our relationships love it so just to, the, to really finish off now so what would you say is the one piece of advice if you could only give one simple practical piece of advice to someone 
who's working as a healthcare professional, who's really considering changing careers right now. Well, you know, from from your own experience, and like you said, everyone's it's so subjective, isn't it? And everyone has their personal individual path and lane. But you know, based on your own personal experience, what would you say is that one simple piece of advice you'd give someone who's considering a career change? One simple piece of advice. That's a hard question, isn't it? Um, uh, I th- I think. I think looking at the, the the stories basically that that you've been telling yourself about what you should and shouldn't do, I think that's probably a really important thing to have a look at. So, I mean, maybe look at what it is. Yeah, no, try and identify the kind of narrative in your own mind about what you should do, what you can do, what you can't do, what your mind tells you is possible. Have a think about where that's come from because it's come from somewhere. It's probably come from peers you know supervisors whoever like you've been exposed to organizations and actually ask yourself you know is that really the case like is that help a helpful way of thinking about things and basically you know ask yourself if i weren't to buy into that what might be possible for me i think that's probably my piece of advice love it love it okay well this has been a lot of fun hasn't it it's been a blast i think it's just i'm sure it's gonna be really helpful for people to just hear about that just because we don't tend to you know we don't tend to hear what other people go through to in this level of detail and i actually think that's what we're all really curious to find out like how other people are maneuvering and going about you know their careers yeah i hope it's been helpful and please listeners if you have found it helpful then feel free to send me an email my email address is nathan n-a-t-h-a-n at nathanillman.com and also if you liked it then let me know this was a bit of an experimental format um i'm considering doing some more of these in the future and olivia has agreed to help me um definitely better than me just speaking into a microphone on my own i don't know i would not have been able to do that for an hour that would have been weird um yeah so let me know if you liked it um and i'll definitely then think about or if you've got any ideas in fact for for other things for the future and I'll I'll look into those okay so we're both going to say goodbye for now and hope you have a great day wherever you are